and he has a message for them. And that message is plain enough. We saw some of it uh, two weeks ago. We looked at the first half of Habakkuk. And his message was that judgment from God will come on Judah because of their uh, rebellion against God. God is going to kind of, uh, yeah, come good on what he said would happen if they turn their back on him. He would deal with the evil in their, in their lives, in their world. But there's much more here. Because uh, Habakkuk, as we discovered last time, he's struggling with something. This message he's carrying is really giving him grief in a, quite a literal sense. He's, he's in pain about it. And he's an unusual prophet in some ways. Although, actually, when you look at it, there are other prophets who do the same. Because the Bible is an honest book. Other prophets uh, mainly speak to... Um, the people about God, asking, giving God's message for them to call them to account, Habakkuk actually uh, kind of turns it around the other way. He, he, he asks some questions of God. He's actually calling God to account for himself. He's got some hard questions to ask of God, and, and we thought about that last time. Uh, and, and he actually asks God for answers, and God gives him some. And this book is the, the story of, of Habakkuk's crisis of faith, which is what it is, uh, and how he comes to terms with it. As we saw last time, Habakkuk is angry and confused. Ever been there? Angry and confused just about the evil around him. He wants God to do something. He's just aware of all this kind of bad stuff in the society of Judah that he was speaking to and he's saying God how long is this going to go on in fact he brings these two questions as we saw right at the beginning the question why why is this happening Uh, why aren't you doing something about it Uh, and the other question how long God how long have we got to wait for this for for you to do what you say you will do these two questions uh, and we saw last year these are pretty common questions aren't they I don't think you can be alive, really, and, uh, and take your faith seriously if you don't ask that question at some point. Why, God? Why is this? I don't understand. How long is it going to be before you answer this prayer or before we see this come good? And God speaks to Habakkuk, as we saw, and actually gives him a terrifying promise. He actually tells Habakkuk that he will deal with the evil in Judah. Sure, he's going to deal with that. Habakkuk, you'll get what you want. That's fine. Uh, But let me tell you, I'm going to tell you how I'm going to do it, Habakkuk. And he tells uh, Habakkuk he's going to bring his judgment into the people of Judah through the Babylonians. The Babylonians are the, the bad guys. The worst possible group on the planet. It's a bit like if you and I, we were having a prayer meeting or months of prayer, saying, Lord, oh, Britain, the, you know, the Western Europe, the, the, why don't you do something about the evil in our society? Right? Like us having that prayer. And God giving us a word saying, yes, I'm going to do that. And you know how I'm going to do that? I'm going to send ISIS to take you over. And that will get rid of all of the evil in Britain. That is the equivalent of, of the message that uh, Habakkuk gets. No wonder he is appalled. He's overwhelmed. He just doesn't know what to do with this. But as we saw last time, and if you, if you missed it, get, the, get, the, uh, get it online. He, he, he's overwhelmed by it, but he hangs in. He holds on to what he knows about God. He watches and waits for an answer. 
And then he begins to get some answers from God. Uh, One of these answers is a call to Habakkuk and others like him to know God's life by trusting him, to live by faith, uh, and there's much more too. Well, that's kind of where we got to last time. And we're picking up in chapter 2 as as Habakkuk now continues to get God's answer. It starts in chapter 2, earlier in chapter 2, but I'm picking it up from chapter 6. Sorry, from verse 6 on page 941. You just get a flavor of it here. He's talking about, when it says, will not all of them taunt him, he's talking about the Babylonians, okay? He's talking about what God will, in then, in turn, how he will bring his judgment on the Babylonians. So, verse 6, will not all of them taunt him? He's talking about other people, as it were, taunting the, the Babylonians in the future, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your debtors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their victim. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed man's blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. And it goes on. This is a, that, 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 uh, and what follows is a series of statements by God, as we see, that begin with this phrase, woe, woe to this, this, this nation. This, he kind of, God kind of personifies the, the Babylonians as a, like a character, if you like. He says, woe to that. And, and it's, it's basically God's verdict on the Babylonians. Now, woe here, it, it, it's not kind of, um, the best way to describe it is like saying, it's a cry of horror. It's not a cry of woe in the, you know, kind of, I'm going to beat you. It's a kind of cry of, you know, I, I won't tell you what it is, but somebody said something to me yesterday about something, uh, not nothing to do with here, something that they, they, they found out about in, in an overseas trip. And I was just going around, it was the most, I was going, oh, no, that's awful. Oh, dear, I, did. I don't believe it. You know, it, it's that kind of, it's, it's horrendous. It's, how could somebody, how could people even behave like that? That was the, that was the, 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 the kind of, and that's the idea of this, this word woe in the Bible. Alas, oh, this is awful. This is terrible. This is horrifying. And as, as, as these series of statements go through, uh, we see that the language, uh, according to the experts, it's clear that it's not just about an individual. It's pointing to ways of life that God hates, that God will judge. It's a picture, really, in these chapter 2, of what horrifies God. What, what he says, oh, no, this is, this is awful. You know, if, if, if we don't deal with this, there's no justice anywhere. It's that kind of sense, Okay. That's what Habakkuk is, is hearing from God. And, and we see what, what they are. So we read verses 6 to 8. It, it's, a kind of, it's about how the Babylonians, Babylonian state just looted everybody else, just emptied everything in its path of every kind of resource and, and just left them. It's about economic injustice, really. You could go into verses 9 to 11, which is there about... Um, People building their own security by ruining others. About, you know, abusing others and building a secure dynasty or a secure city on that. And, and it, it's, it's, I suppose it's a bit like you might say, I don't know if we've read this stuff on Facebook recently, but, you know, cities in Britain, and actually university institutions in Britain as well, um, actually are, are, are wealthy and secure because of the slave trade, Okay. 
Apologies if you're from Bristol or Liverpool or, or some of the other places, but whole, whole great cities are secure and safe because of the profits that people made out of slavery. And that's, we kind of keep quiet. And, and what, God is, what Habakkuk is saying, or God is saying through Habakkuk is, is this kind of structural economic evil God hates. He's horrified by it. He says, alas, this is appalling. Something has to be done about this or there's no justice. That's the kind of thing, and the list goes on. And it's, it's quite, actually, when you think about it, it's quite up-to-date. Verses 12 to 13. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Whole communities built on violence and exploitation. Verse 13. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wine so he can gaze on their naked bodies. This idea of cynically ruining people destroying their lives, profiting in it by what they drink and what they eat. Hello, soft drink company. How many people are dying from uh, diabetes and obesity in this country because of what people eat, what they drink, cynically given. For it's that kind of, it's that kind of structural kind of evil. God hates it. He's horrified by it. And the Babylonians were doing it, sure. But they weren't the only ones. And they haven't been the only ones. God is um, horrified by that. These are kind of behaviors that shape communities, that shape the life of corporate life. I don't just mean corporate like business, but nations, alliances. There's a phrase in there uh, about a a nation uh, being ending up with people working and it being useless. In, where is it? Um, sorry, I haven't. Uh, that's annoying. I'll find it in, in, a, in a minute. Someone say, tell me first. Verse 13. Yes, that's it. Thank you very much. Has not the Lord Almighty determined? It's a strange verse. We don't, it's a difficult verse to get. But, but the picture is of, of a city built with bloodshed, uh, a kind of violence... And then people kind of just, their, their life, their work, their economic life becomes futile because of their exploitation. That might sound a bit familiar if you want it to. There are modern parallels. Now Habakkuk is hearing that God is against that evil from Babylon. He, he's horrified at what, who God is using to judge Judah. And God is saying, I'll, you know, Evil will be judged. It cannot, justice cannot remain intact if I don't do something about that. And Habakkuk is hearing that, that God is against it. It will all come down. It will come down in the normal course of history, which we see, we've seen through history. The Babylonian Empire went actually in a night. Actually, Daniel, uh, where, where, you, know, you read about the book of Daniel, and it's true. The whole thing crashed down. Great empires come and go. There's a sense in which God is saying, yeah, I, I, will, I will judge through history. But there is also this sense that one day, once and for all, it will be dealt with. And that's the answer. You know, Habakkuk's question was, God, how can they get away with this? How can you use the Babylonians? They're, and God's saying, they won't get away with it. It won't happen. Now, people who believe God, people with questions, 
we, we, we kind of stand with Habakkuk and we ask God these questions and, and, and we get these answers and we think, well, what are we going to do about that? That's not an easy thing to hear, is it? We've heard quite a bit from Hosea and Joel about God bringing judgment and that isn't easy at all. What are we supposed to do about it? For Habakkuk, for us, I don't know about you, for me, this is disturbing, it's difficult. And there's a great danger of us either kind of, um, kind of retreating into a kind of gloating over it, you know, whoa, God's going to judge all those bad, all that evil, or kind of avoiding it completely and saying, well, you know, evil doesn't matter. You know, and there's like these two kind of extremes of, of danger that we can react in that way. But what I think is interesting is you look into this chapter 2 of Habakkuk. Within it all, as as God's word comes, he includes really two key truths that give more perspective. That give more than just the God is horrified about these things um, and he's going to deal with it and blah, blah, blah. There's there's something else in there. Did you spot them? Well, we haven't read it, so uh, how could you have done? (laughs) So I need to show it to you. We need to go there. But the first one we see is in verse 14. So there's all this unremitting, woe, alas kind of language. But look at verse 14 of chapter 2. The earth will be filled with with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You see, the first thing is, God's saying it through Habakkuk. He's saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, I have an ultimate purpose. There's something you need to see beyond all this stuff. See, there's more than judgment threatened. Isaiah talked about this. It's almost a direct quote from Isaiah. If you can get, uh, just keep your finger in Habakkuk and, and turn please, to Isaiah chapter 11. I'll give you a page number in a sec when I found it myself. That's page 696. Now, uh, just really very superficial look at this, but um, Isaiah talked about this. Look at what he says in verse 1. He's promising, Isaiah through his book, promises God to do something. To, to, to not just deal in judgment, to, to bring rescue, to bring his kingdom in. And, and this is one of the early references to the king that God is promising to send. Chapter 11, verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. That's David's family, King David's family. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You see, a king is coming, says Isaiah. A king who is going to come with the Holy Spirit. A king who is going to come with with the knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. He will help people to know the Lord, to know him, to know a relationship with him. This promised king is coming. This king, it goes on to say, at verse second half, verse three, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, so he will judge. Verse four, with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And then look, in second half, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. So this king comes, he's coming. Uh, he will also bring judgment. 
And then look on to verse 6. Then after that, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat. And you can read it as well, quite a famous, the lion lies down with the lamb and all of that stuff. Verse 9, this picture of, of a complete and renewed kind of world. Verse 9, they will neither harm nor destroy, and all my holy mountain for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The same phrase. And what we have here is a kind of compression of all that the King Jesus is going to do. All compressed down into a few sentences. Ever been to one of those, you know, 60-second Shakespeare's? Have you, you know, I, I haven't actually, but, you know, these guys, they can give you the whole of, you know, Macbeth. Well, not, yeah, you can say Macbeth in church, can I say in the theatre. Yeah, the whole, whole of Macbeth in, in 60 seconds. Right, yeah, the, the whole thing, there it is. Well, in a kind of, this, is, this is Isaiah's kind of 60-second of God's whole story. The king is going to come. He's come, Jesus. One day he's going to judge. We know he's going to do that. That's yet to come. And then after that, there's going to be this amazing, renewed world that those who are with him, his people, will enjoy. So, and, and the whole thing is kind of squeezed and compressed into to one thing. That's what's happening here. And, and what's the message here? The message back in Habakkuk, you want to flip back to it now, it is that God's heart, what really matters to God, it, it, is not that he's kind of going to have to deal with evil. That's not the main thing. It's what happens afterwards. It's where it's all going. God's great purpose. God's, God's kind of heart for, for a renewed world, for people in, in, and the whole of creation put right. That's where it's going. And we need to get hold of that in, in the midst of this, these kind of judgment things that uh, Habakkuk did. And I believe we do, as well, do have to do so as well. But that's the first one. But there's another one in the middle of it all. And this is what I've called God's enduring persistence. Look at verses 18 to 20 of chapter 2. That's on, over the page now, 942. Because after this, these statements about the, how, what horrifies God about injustice and evil that states do, that individuals do. And let's face it, you know, we're, we're all in it. You know, you can't say, well, you know, I'm okay because we've all got the same problem. We may not be as bad as, you know, ISIS if we see that, but we're on the road, aren't we? We know our hearts. So what shall we say? Verse 18, of what value is an idol? God speaks about idolatry, since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies, for he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There's no breath in it. Then verse 20, but, well, a great but, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth be silent before him. See, God's saying to Habakkuk, get hold of this as well. Yeah, it's a kind of, uh, the Old Testament prophets do this a lot. They basically say, you know, worshipping idols is just stupid. It doesn't make any kind of sense. How can you make something and then believe that that thing that you've made somehow can help you and guide you? It's, it's illogical. Um, and, and he's kind of taking the mickey out of it, really. Uh, you know, and, and there's this idea of people shout at them. <laughs> wake up, come on, wake up. You're, you know, or, or you know, they, they try and get their help by 
elaborate kind of rituals or, you know, a bit like Elijah, the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. You know, a great deal of shouting goes on in trying to get the gods or the idol to, to do what you want. All about how, how, how worked up you can get and how kind of exciting it all becomes. And it is a, it, it, it's, it's not, uh, and the thing is, there's it, a fascinating phrase here, verse, second half, verse 18, an image that teaches lies, because actually there is a spiritual influence. Somehow something else comes in, and through worshipping what we've made, something else starts getting lies into our hearts. But, verse 20, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. What's this about? What temple? Is it the Jerusalem temple? Well, no, I don't think it is. I mean, the Israelites knew perfectly well that God, when when David uh, prayed about the temple, when Solomon dedicated it, they made it very clear that God wasn't going to live there. It was a kind of symbol of his presence with them. But God doesn't kind of, isn't contained by the temple. Is it the, is it his kind of, if you like, the, 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 that place in, 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 in another dimension or heavenly reality, however you describe where God dwells, which the temple is a kind of copy of, well, maybe it's that as well. Some people would, would say, in one sense, the, the earth, the whole world, is meant to be kind of God's, God's dwelling place, God's presence. And the, the temple in Jerusalem was a kind of a copy or a, a kind of meant to symbolize how God would fill the earth, as, as Habakkuk has already said. But the, the basic message is this human beings want to worship don't we and god is saying there's a true god be silent before him acknowledge him fear him he wants us to know him and there's this great truth in the midst of all this kind of uh yeah declaration of god's horror at what happens when we go away from him there's the invitation God's saying, you don't need idols. You don't need to shout and scream and try and get a piece of wood or, 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 the, or if you like, the, um, the stock markets or the economic forces or political power or celebrity status or whatever it is or the best relationship you hope you'll have one day. He says, you don't need any of those things. He said, be sight before me. He said, God, I'm the Lord. You're, you're made to worship things because... We're not things you're made to worship me. Don't worship things. That's what you're made to worship, says God. Worship me. Be silent before me. That's the message. That's the message. We can know the living God. The Lord is for all people. He's for the whole earth. He wants the knowledge of his glory to fill it. He longs for everyone to know him. And we need to get hold of that in the midst of these judgment passages. Evil will be dealt with, sure, but God's heart is for rescue. Judgment is threatened, but he wants to bring rescue from that judgment and renewal on the other side of it. Why does Jesus, standing over Jerusalem, start sobbing in in, in grief and pain? You know that story in Luke's gospel? He's there. He looks over Jerusalem. He's crying. Uh, and he's saying, Jerusalem, he said, I, I, you know, I, I wanted to gather you. He's speaking prophetically from God. He's saying, I wanted you to be my... And he said, you would not. You wouldn't do it. And he says, now judgment is coming on Jerusalem because of it. 
Jesus is weeping. He's crying. He's in pain at, the, at what is going to happen. You see, he wants us to be rescued, but he can't make us. Or he's not going to make us. So what I'm trying to get across is for us as we approach these kind of judgment tough things, there's like these two kind of jewels, I think, glinting in the darkness. Pointers to something else. Keep that in mind when you're kind of thinking about God's judgment. Remember what God is really like. Evil has to be dealt with, but he wants to rescue. He's waiting and looking for the renewal of all things. Respond to that. Welcome the King, Jesus, into your life. Turn to the living God from idols. And if you've already done that, then point other people to that God. Now let's move on. What then will Habakkuk do faced with these huge truths from God. Where is he with his dilemma? And what, uh, how do we respond to all this? I'm going to have to dash on through. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. A prayer of Habakkuk, Habakkuk the prophet, on Shikionoth. More about that in a minute. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, Remember mercy. How do we respond to all this stuff that we've been hearing about God? Horror at what's wrong and what he will do. Well, Habakkuk worships. He stands in awe. He's heard, let the whole world be silent. And and Habakkuk says, okay, here I am. Silence. Sometimes that's all we can do. You know, with our, with our dilemmas, as Habakkuk has done, he's, he's had his say. He's heard what God has said. He's responding now. He's just, you know, there comes a point. It's great to argue with God. It's, it, we can be free to bring our questions. We, 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 we kind of examine it or he speaks to us. The questions may go on for a long time. But at a certain point, we may just have to shut up and trust him in faith. I say that in a nice way. Calvin, never thought I'd quote Calvin, did you? But Calvin once talked about the need to glorify God in our silence. Can I read you a story? Um, this is uh, from a book. It's a great little book called Why Doesn't God Act More Like God? It's a little kind of series of... Uh, uh, it's about the book of Habakkuk. Uh, I got this. I was in America, and I visited this place called Words of Hope Radio Ministry Program. I won't go into too much here. Anyway, they, they said, would you like this book? It's by our president or something like that. And I kind of took it, and I've been on my bookshelf, and I got it out and started reading it when I was preparing. It's really brilliant, I must say. It's absolutely brilliant. If uh, I can give you a... You can download a PDF of it for free from their website if you're really interested. But anyway, let me tell you this story. This is the writer David Bass. He said, When I was a junior in college, I returned to my room late one winter night to find a note taped to my door. The message instructed me to go immediately to my brother Tom's apartment, no matter what the hour. When I got there, I learned that our older brother Paul had been killed in action in the Vietnam War. So this is in the 70s. The next evening, our immediate family was home together, sitting around the kitchen table after supper. My, uh, supper. My father sat in his customary place at the head of the table. He suffered from Parkinson's disease, and with the added burden of shock and grief, 
he slumped in his chair, looking old and weak. Nobody said much, but nobody made a move to leave, move to leave either. Then before the dishes were cleared away, my father reached for the Bible, as he always did at the close of a meal. He held it for a moment, then passed it to me and told me to read. Ooh, the challenge. As I, as I look back at him, all I could think of was bereaved Job, mourning the death of his children. I opened the Bible to Job chapter 1 and read, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then something led me to turn to Psalm 103. And I continued, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that. And someone cried out to stop. But my father looked up and said sharply, No, go on reading. You know, the psalm goes about blessing the Lord and blessing the Lord for this, that. So I continued. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits. And as I read, my father, like Job before him, bowed his head and worshipped. I learned then what it means to glorify God with our silence. Interesting story. There are times when that's about what it is, what we do. But Habakkuk prays. Verse 2 sums up his prayer. Lord, I have have heard of your fame. I stand in your deeds and so on. Actually, Habakkuk more than prays. He sings. Verses 3 to 15. We're not going to read them. You'd be relieved to know, probably. Uh, A song. That's that that, that strange word in verse 1 is is a musical term. We think, or they think. I wouldn't know. I I trust the experts. And you see down the side of chapter 3, those words, selah, there. said that, too is a musical kind of term we think might have meant like a key change, you know, when the boy band changes key and gets off their stalls and, you know, they come into the last. But that kind of, you know, that kind of key, that kind of um, uh, indication. But the point is Habakkuk sings. He sings the story of God's rescuing Israel, how they became his people. He sings about what connected them to the Lord. And, and, and as he sings it, if you read it through, you'll see it's like all in the, the, the present tense. And uh, you look through it and you'll see that this song he sings kind of summarizes a lot of the Old Testament rescue story. And it's about how God came in verse 3. God came from Teman. Uh, in verse 5, verse 6, verse 9, it, uh, it talks about God riding, God striding the earth, verse 12. In wrath you strode the earth. Verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. And there's great kind of references to loads of stories of of the Old Testament and how God did these amazing things for his people. It's a great retelling of the story. It's not just he's retelling, he's kind of reliving it. (laughs) He's kind of in there. It's all like, although it's something that happened in the past, he's saying, it's kind of... It's in my life. It's who I am, says Habakkuk. And he sings his, his heart out. Uh, Habakkuk was probably a member of like the, the, the worship priest uh, group in the temple. And so he's doing, in a sense, what he does best. It's like what we do with communion. What do we do with communion? We proclaim what God has done through Jesus. We remember him. We celebrate God's rescue. 
we realize that Jesus died for us. We realize that he rose again for us. We realize that he's done everything to bring us through judgment into relationship with him. We celebrate it. We, the Bible says we kind of participate in it. It's not just a, a, a telling of the story. It's, uh, in, it's certainly not a repeating of the event, let me just say. But, it, but, but neither is it it's something, you know, it's something special about what God has done for us. And as we, we share in it, we, we kind of relive his mercy, his grace, his love when we take communion. When we're baptized... What does it say about baptism? It says that when, when we're baptized, or baptized, baptism symbolizes being united with Christ in his death. It's the kind of thing that Habakkuk is doing with the Old Testament. We celebrate and relive these great events that make us his people. So as we face questions, as we face dilemmas, as we face disappointments, as we face confusion, as we face crises, which we do face... We need to connect with what God has done for us, to sing it. Sometimes we we need to get it in our heart. You know, it's not enough to just know in our head something. Sometimes your head can't get around it, but there's something, another way of kind of absorbing it. And then we pray as Habakkuk does in verse 2. And we pray, Lord, we know you've done it. Please do it again. And like Habakkuk does, as we're aware of, of, of judgment, we cry out that God, that he will remember mercy, that he will be merciful. I sometimes hear Christians sometimes talking about judgment as if they really wish God would get on with it and finish the job off. That's not the way we should be praying. God, hold it back. Have mercy. This is what you promised. Give us more time. Lord, you want everyone, you know, hold it back, Lord. That's what Habakkuk is praying. He wants the earth, he, Habakkuk knows the earth, God wants the earth to be full of his glory, and we pray that we might be part of that now in advance. Then he trembles. It's not easy for Habakkuk. It's disturbing. It overwhelms him physically. You'll see that in verse 16. My, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. It was not easy for Habakkuk. But he goes on to say, I will trust the Lord. And trusting the Lord, what does that mean? He says, I will wait patiently, verse 18. At times, I'm just going to have to leave it with the Lord. But he says, not well, only will I wait patiently. He says, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And he's able to do that even if he loses everything. Verse 17, if you lived in Habakkuk's world, it's a picture of losing everything. You know, if you're living in an agricultural economy like Israel was at the time, and you haven't got any fig tree, any grapes, any olive, olives, any, anything from the fields, no sheep or no cattle, that's it. <laughs> You've got nothing. If there's a drought, about the only thing that is not mentioned is water. If there's a drought as well, then that's it. You're, you're in big trouble. Habakkuk says, look, even if I, I lose everything, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to wait for him. Why? How can he say that? Because the sovereign Lord is my strength. 
He says, verse 18, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk is saying, I've got maybe difficult places to go. Places I can't go to on my own. But God will enable me. We've seen this in people, haven't we? Who have lost everything or are losing everything. I've seen it. So have many of us. Think of somebody like um, Jackie. Remember Jackie Gibbons? About seemingly to lose everything, really, as she faced cancer. And yet, the Lord enabled her. I've not seen, you know, I don't, Jackie's not the only one. I mention her. Who, as, as about to lose life and the possibility of seeing other grandchildren born. And, you know, Jackie, if you, sorry if you're listening or uh, you don't know, it was a, a lady who died of, of cancer a couple of years ago key member of our fellowship at under 60 wasn't it she was about 59 and uh, the church was packed with people uh, when when we remembered and rejoiced in her life because she rejoiced in the lord the lord enabled her the sovereign lord was her strength habakkuk's had some questions hasn't he he's brought them to god and we can do that. He's had some answers, which in some way have been as disturbing as the original questions. And that can be true for us too. Answers aren't easy. But we, like Habakkuk, can come to trust in the God who rules, the God who loves, the God who judges, and the God who rescues. And we know that God will enable us when we need that enabling, even if we lose everything. We can know that hope and trust in the Lord. I pray that that may be our experience. If you want to talk about anything I've said or, or pray with somebody afterwards, I think there are still a few of the prayer team left uh, to, to pray with you afterwards, then just come down to the front here and there's prayer. Has the band come? Are the band coming up now? Is it? I'm, I'm going to pray. Lord, we want to thank you for the honest uh, account of Habakkuk. We thank you that his honest questions did not undermine his real faith. And that he insisted on asking you, Lord. And he kept going in that. He waited. And he, he loved you enough, Lord. He, he cared enough. He, was, he knew that relationship with you that could bear his pain and his questions and led him on through to a position where he could say, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will trust in you. And we pray, Lord, that for, for perhaps some of us here who, who have got questions or have struggles, we pray, Lord, that we will see these struggles as a path to know you better and a path to a place where, where we may not have all the answers because of that connection we have with you because of what Jesus has done we can know your help and your strength when we are in trouble so we thank you for Habakkuk's testimony we pray that you would write it into our lives by the Holy Spirit in Jesus name Amen
We have a little time um, to respond to what we've heard and what God's spoken to us now. And we're going to do that in the two ways that Habakkuk responded. First of all, we're going to take a few moments in silence and wait patiently for the Lord as he did. Um, And then we're going to turn to rejoicing through song.